Ros and I were uh, driving home from seeing some family up in the hills yesterday and we were coming down Chandler's Hill Road. Chandler's Hill Road's the sort of long, steep, long, winding hill uh, out the back of Happy Valley here. And we're coming down the hill and I was saying to Ros that I used to love riding my bike down Chandler's Hill Road. It's fast um, and there's these long, sweeping curves. You ride faster than the cars and it's a really nice uh, descent to come down. But over the last oh, year or so, the road started to deteriorate coming down Chandler's Hill Road. I've even noticed if you drive down that way, but it's pretty sort of bumpy and corrugated in parts. And when you're on tiny little, uh, tiny little bike tyres and you're coming down there at 60 kilometres an hour, around some of those corners now, your tyre sort of skips and bounces around the corner. It becomes a little bit sketchy coming down there. I said to Roz, it's sort of a disappointment to me because this road that I used to love descending is now like, oh, I'll go down there if I have to. And Roz just said to me, well, have you emailed the council or the government to let them know? And I went, well, no. <laughs> but then I thought, you know, it's so true, isn't it, that like it's not going to get changed if someone doesn't ask, right? You know, someone, if you, you see something in the world that needs to be changed, if you don't ask, if you don't sort of boldly say, hey, can we do this? You know, things tend not to change. We're in this uh, series on prayer. We're saying we're talking about prayer because Jesus talked a lot about prayer. And when his disciples, his first followers, when they saw Jesus praying, they saw there was something about the way that he prayed. And they said to him, can you teach us to pray? Can you teach us to pray the way that you prayed? And when they asked him that question, he told them a story. He told them a story about a, a man who goes to his neighbor's house uh, in the middle of the night and bangs on the door and says, a, a friend's come to my house and I don't have any food. Can you give me a couple of loaves of bread? And Jesus says what everyone, all of us would be thinking, which is the response is, no, uh, I'm asleep. You know, everyone's in bed in my house. The door's locked. Go away. But Jesus says that he doesn't respond like that in the way that we probably wouldn't actually in the moment respond like that and Jesus says even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship yet because of your shameless audacity because of the boldness that you've showed in going over there and kind of knocking the door he will surely get up and give you as much as you need and Jesus point is that this is the way we should pray we should pray with that same kind of shameless audacity. Some other Bible translations say, with boldness and persistence. That's the way we should come to prayer. Jesus is teaching that prayer isn't just something we do to make ourselves feel good. Prayer isn't sort of a, a comfort thing we do for others. That prayer changes things. That when God's people will pray boldly and persistently, Things can change. Circumstances and people and our world can change. And we saw last week that this kind of bold, persistent prayer isn't just changing the outward circumstances of our lives, but can also change us from the inside out. This sort of bold, persistent prayer can change our hearts. We listen to King David praying, create in me a clean heart. And in our small group time, for those who were here last week, we saw God do some business with people. Some really fantastic stuff happened as we gathered in groups and people, some people were willing to open their hearts and say, hey, this is where I am. Can you pray for me? It's fantastic. So we're going to stretch ourselves again this week because 
there's another kind of bold and persistent prayer that's not about our circumstances, it's not even about our hearts on the inside. Because bold and audacious and persistent prayer can change the world. In fact, a bit, you know, a bit like me coming, you know, looking at the bumpy Chandler's Hill Road and thinking, I wish something, somebody would do something about that. When God's people will ask boldly, the world around us can change. The lives of other people, God can do things through his people and literally change the world. Because we all know, like there's so many problems and challenges and issues in our world, bold and audacious, persistent prayer can change those things that we see in the world around us. The Apostle Paul lived a few years after Jesus. And he was a guy that knew a lot about changing the world. He left his sort of his regular job, he left his his normal life, and he spent his life traveling around the world, the whole world as he knew it, traveling around the world, telling people about the amazing news, the amazing resurrection of Jesus. He turned traditional churches on their heads. Gave them a brand new understanding of who God is and what he wanted for them. He started brand new churches in cities where there'd never been churches. He went into places where he was the very first person to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. He wrote letters to some of those churches that were then circulated all over the world. This guy knew something about what it is to be changing the world. And I want to read you part of one of the letters that he wrote. I want to read to you Paul's bold, audacious prayer for change. We're reading uh, this morning from Paul's letter to the Colossians. It's a little book in your Bible. You've got the big, uh, the guys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, Then you've got Acts, uh, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Then you've got these four little books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you want to find it in your Bible or if you're just nodding your head at me because I've just got a device and, you know, we can just press on Colossians and up it comes. So we're right in the very beginning of Paul's letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading from verse 3. This is basically the way Paul opens his letter. He introduces himself and then he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. The faith and love proceeding from the hope stored up in heaven for stored up for you in heaven, of which you've already heard in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you first heard it and truly understood the grace of God. You learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also informed us of your love. In the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have full endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance 
of the saints in the light. Paul prays for them. He says, we thank God for you. We thank God because we've heard about your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. We thank God because we've heard about your faith. We've heard about your love and your belief and your trust in God. And we've also heard about your love for other people, your love for all the saints. The the saints is a way of saying just the other people in the church. Verse 5, he says, this faith, this faith and love, it comes from the hope you have in Jesus. And this hope is the good news. This is the gospel message. He says, this is the gospel message that you heard, that you first heard from Epaphras. In verse 6, he says, all over the world, this same gospel message is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been uh, doing among you since the day you heard it. He says this, this gospel, this good news, has been bearing fruit right from the beginning. And it's not stopping. It's still happening today. It's still happening. It's sort of Paul saying, it's still happening in the place where I am, and I hear it's still happening in the place where you are. And Paul says in verse 9, he says, and I'm not stopping praying for you. He says, verse 9, since the day we first heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that you may please him in every way. And he says, in every way, and then there's there's a colon in my Bible, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. There's that phrase again, bearing fruit. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened in all power. Paul is paying a bold and audacious prayer for this tiny little church in the city of Colossae. There's nothing small or soft about this prayer, is there? And do you notice that he's not praying for their circumstances? At no point in this prayer does he pray for their health. At no point in this prayer does he pray for their jobs. Does he pray for their their families, their finances? None of that. And he's not even praying for their hearts, really. Paul's praying for what God is doing in the world through them. Paul is so excited about their faith. He's so excited to hear that the good news of Jesus is continuing to spread through their city and through the surrounding areas because of what's happening in their lives. And Paul prays boldly for more. Paul's not content with what's just happening there. He says, there's great things happening there in your little church and I'm praying for more. I'm praying that that your knowledge of the love of God would continue to grow. You've got this love for God, but I pray that there would be more of the love of God in you. I pray that you would live in a way that honours God. I pray that you would be strengthened in the power of God. And I pray that you would continue to bear fruit in every good work. This is Paul's bold prayer for the church in Colossae. Paul is praying that God's mission would be alive and growing in that little church. Paul is praying that that little church would change the world, at least change their little world. This was a really common way that Paul prayed for churches. If you read his letter to the Ephesians, another little church that he visited, He says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. 
And Paul didn't make this up. This isn't his idea. Paul learnt this from Jesus. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so that you may love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying, people will know you're my follower by the way that you love others. And Paul learnt this from Jesus and learnt this from the first disciples. That we're not created just for ourselves. We're created to love others. God, God created people and, and God kind of created his church that it would be an influence of love on the world around us. That's why Paul's writing this way and talking this way. The good news about Jesus isn't just good news from Jesus to us. It's good news that comes to us that we can share the same good news with other people. Does that make sense? And sometimes the most audacious, bold, courageous thing that we can pray is, God, use me. And this isn't an easy prayer to pray. And, and maybe for lots of us, it's not even a normal prayer to pray because we live in a world that is controlled by the power of me, right? My world is all about me. It's about my life and my family and my health and my job, my school, my dreams, my future. And sadly, for lots of people, the Christian faith has even become about me. What is God doing for me? What's God doing in my life? Let me tell you about the way God's blessing me. And when we think like that, our prayers start to become me-focused. I pray for my life. I pray for my family. I pray for my school. I pray for my health. I pray for my job. I pray for my dreams and my future. When people ask me, Matt, is there something I can pray for? How do I respond? I talk about me. Paul's prayer is showing us that there is another way to look at bold, audacious prayer. There's a bold, audacious, persistent, never give up kind of prayer that isn't about me. It's saying, use me for other people. But the focus of the prayer isn't me. It's others. So quick quiz. What do Vinnie's, World Vision, the Salvos, Compassion and Hut Street Centre for the Homeless, what do they all have in common? <coughs> they all take donations, correct. Every one of those organisations was started by a Christian person. Well done. They were all started by Christians who were determined to put their faith into action. All started by, they were all started by Christians who were determined for their faith to bear fruit. They were all started by Christians who at some point prayed, God, use me. They saw a need, they saw a desperate need in the world and said, God, use me. So the question that we're going to talk about when we jump into our small groups this morning is what bold and persistent prayer are you praying for the world around you? What fruit-bearing, life-saving, darkness-ending, gospel-advancing, world-changing prayer are you praying boldly and consistently? And if you're sitting here thinking, I'm going to have a hard time answering that question, 
Let me ask you another question, which is what breaks your heart enough to drive you to that kind of bold and persistent prayer? What pain and hurt in the world makes you angry? You know, with a godly kind of anger, that's not right. The world shouldn't be that way. What injustice do you see happening in the world around you and think, I've got to do something to make that stop? What group of people do you see and just wish deep in your heart that you could do something to help that group of people? Now, there's no right answer, I want to say to this, but I believe that Jesus would say there's no right answer, but you better have some answer. Maybe it's kids in sex slavery. Maybe it's people living without fresh water. Maybe it's war in some part of the world. Maybe it's homeless people right here in Adelaide. Maybe it's kids without parents. Maybe it's young homeless mums at Kulok House. And we could make an endless list, couldn't we? What is it that you want to pray boldly and consistently for? And if you're thinking, I'm not sure I have an answer to that question either... Can I gently challenge you? Go find an answer to that question. Go and get up close and personal with the pain and the hurt of the world. And if we've been really honest, some of us don't have an answer to that question because we keep our lives so far away from the pain and hurt and injustice of the world that, that it never impacts us personally. Some of us need to step out of our comfortable lives and allow God to break our hearts with the pain and the suffering and the hurt of other people. Jesus spent his life amongst the poor and the lonely and the sick and the hurting and the left out and the uncool. And quite frankly, you can't follow Jesus and stay away from the hurt in the world. Because Jesus didn't stay away from the hurt in the world. And if you're following Jesus, guess where he's going and guess where you're going. And again, being really honest, sometimes I've talked about this with people for lots of years and sometimes people will say things to me like, Matt, I just can't bear to stop on things like, to stop and think about things like kids in sex slavery. It's just too upsetting. And frankly, folks, that's the point. Do you know what I'm saying? It's supposed to be upsetting. It's supposed to be so upsetting. It's supposed to be so disturbing that it drives you to prayer. It's supposed to be so upsetting that you want to get on your knees and just scream and cry out, God, we've got to do something to stop this. This thing is heartbreaking. God, would you use me? I just want to make this stop. Don't avoid the pain and the hurt and the heartbreak in the world. Allow God to let it break your heart. Allow God to let it make you angry with that godly kind of anger that makes you say, I have to do something to change this reality. This isn't easy. 
It's awkward, I get it. Because I feel like this too. And it's costly when you start praying this prayer. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. Other people will look at you and think, why are you doing that? Come over here and be in the, the safe, in the safe, comfortable space with us. In 1755, over 250 years ago, John Wesley. John Wesley was preaching to thousands of people in England, telling them about the good news of God. And on one night, just sort of spontaneously, he adapted a prayer that he had heard. And any time someone in his gathering or his meeting wanted to give their lives to Jesus, he would, they would say, what should we do? And he would say, pray this prayer. And it caught on and it became something that for years and years, whenever John Wesley would do these missions and whenever he would preach, when people would say, I want to follow Jesus, he would say, if you want to follow Jesus, this is the prayer to pray to say I'm following Jesus. It's been adapted a bit over the years. But it goes something like this. He would have people pray this. I'm no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with who you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. Praised for you or criticised for you. Let me be full and let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and your service. This was the first thing that he had new Christians pray. It's over 250 years old. It's a bold and audacious prayer that says, God, use me. However you want, wherever you want, doing whatever you want, I am now yours. I surrender all of who I am to you. This new faith that I'm stepping into isn't going to be about me. It's going to be about you and what you want to do through me and with me. And I want to say, if you're not sure what sort of audacious prayer you should pray, you can pray this one. The message of this series, this whole series, the message of this series has been that prayer is powerful. That bold, audacious and persistent prayer can change your circumstances it can change your heart and it can change the world around you. It really can change things. And you know, there's lots of things wrong in our world, right? There's lots of things that we look at locally, in our country and globally. I mean, you only have to look at the news, you only have to look around your school, you only have to look across your neighbourhood and go, the world should be different. I don't think this is the way that God wants things to be. And for thousands of years, Christians just like you, regular people just like you, have got up close and personal with the suffering in the world. They've let their, heart, they've let their hearts get broken for the things that break God's heart. And they've prayed boldly and desperately that things would be different. And for thousands of years, God has been changing the world through the prayers of people just like you.
Ordinary people just like you. Young people in school. Mums and dads. Young adults getting into their first jobs. Parents, grandparents, retired people. If I can say anything to wrap up this series, don't let your prayers be bounded by the circle of your own life. Someone said to me that this bold, audacious prayer is like having a key that can unlock the power of God in someone else's life. Don't leave the key in your pocket, you know? Stick it in the door of prayer and see what God can do through you. Not because you're amazing, but because God is incredible. That makes sense? This isn't about how connected you are. This isn't about how many friends you've got on social media. This isn't about you know, what, the, what the job title says on your office door. This isn't about the amount of money that's in you. It's not about any of that. This is about the power of the God that created you and created everything we see in the world around us. This is about that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray when he says, pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that, that, that things on earth would reflect God's world in heaven. And we get a chance to be a part of that. Don't let your prayer get stuck on what you want in your own life. There's so much more that God wants to do with you through your prayer life. We live in a world full of broken and hurting and desperate people who need the bold and audacious prayers of people like you and people like me. So my encouragement to you is have a go. Take a risk. And let's see what God can do through the bold and audacious prayers of his people.